Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Today, we're going to be talking about a group of substances called bisphenols. They are widely used, but many are also known endocrine disruptors, which means that they can affect the hormonal systems of people and animals. Bisphenol A, or BBA, is probably the most known chemical in this group. It has been used since the 1960s in many consumer goods, like reusable plastic tableware, plastic bottles, CDs and sports equipment, such as helmets. Due to its harmful properties, BPA's use has already been limited. But it's not a secret that when authorities have regulated one substance, companies often switch to another one with a similar structure, and many times one that also has similar effects. Our expert this time is Martin Rogeman, who is a scientific officer in our risk management unit. And together with some EU member states, Martin and his team have been assessing the need to regulate bisphenols as a group. In this episode, you will find out how the assessment was done and what we can expect as next steps for managing the risks of bisphenols. You're listening to Safer Chemicals podcast, and my name is Baivi Jokiniemi. So during the past couple of years, the focus has clearly shifted to assessing groups of similar substances in one go rather than individually. And this is also something that has happened with with bisphenols lately. So to start with, um, could you tell us why this change was needed? Yes, Bavi, you're absolutely right. Um, Today we are assessing groups of substances rather than substances uh, individually. Um, And one of the main reasons to do that is to avoid regrettable substitution. Uh, Since January 2020, uh, BPA was not allowed in thermal paper anymore. However, uh, many of the companies have uh, used BPS, uh, bisphenol S, to replace BPA in thermal paper. uh, And this actually despite uh, the warning of ECHA's Scientific Committee for Risk Assessment that using uh, BPS as a substitute to BPA is not sustainable uh, because it has very similar toxicological uh, properties to BPA and uh, so substitution is not a good idea. So when we uh, can avoid running, like in this case, behind the facts and and dealing with one regrettable substitute after another, um, we, we get more efficient from a regulatory point of view. Um, And so in that sense, we hope that that grouping will help uh, the authorities to be more efficient in in protecting people and the environment from harmful chemicals. So another important benefit of uh, assessing substances in groups is that we can assess um, hazard information in a holistic manner. This allows authorities to consider to use data from one substance and use it to... um, Uh, assess also other substances in the group and that may mean that they don't need to generate data and uh, that that saves time so they may be able to act instead of waiting for information to come back from a a certain data gap. So in that sense we also think that the assessment of of, uh, groups of substances may allow for faster action. 
I think assessment uh, at the level of, of a group of substances will also lead to more consistent regulatory actions for substances in the group that have similar concerns because you, you look at the, the bigger picture. Uh, and with the grouping work, we also um, increase the predictability of the authorities' actions and that allows companies then also to prepare uh, and also be proactive. Yes, absolutely. Sounds like there are many benefits actually with this approach, so a logical step forward. Um, but if we then continue from this overview and talk about the bisphenols, which is the topic of the day, uh, this is quite a big group of chemicals. And as said earlier, they are, they are widely used. I think quite a many of us have seen in stores certain products where you can find nowadays this label saying BPA-free, for example. Um, so I was thinking that maybe you could give some examples that what are bisphenols actually used for and why are they problematic? Yeah, it's it's a, a big group indeed. And um, BPA-free labels that you refer to, uh, that's actually just one substance not being present, but there are many more bisphenols. And so that's why uh, we grouped together 148 structurally similar bisphenols together. Uh, many bisphenols are endocrine disruptors for both human health and the environment, um, but many bisphenols also may be toxic for reproduction, and that means that they may affect our fertility or the development of the unborn child. Uh, in fact, uh, three bisphenols, bisphenol A, bisphenol B, and 2,2-bis-4-hydroxyphenyl-4-methylpentane, have already been uh, identified as substances of very high concern because they are endocrine disruptors or may be toxic for reproduction. Then there are also other bisphenols where sufficient information on hazards is already available to identify them as substances of very high concern or to propose harmonized classification and labeling. And these are, for example, BPS, BPAF and BPF. However, for many group members, more data needs to be generated to confirm that indeed they are endocrine disruptors or maybe toxic for the reproduction. And about the uses then? The uses are, of course, varied in such a, a big group of substances, but mostly they are used as intermediates in the manufacture of polymers, such as polycarbonate plastics and epoxy resins. Um, and as mentioned, they are also used in thermal paper, but also in inks and coatings, adhesives, textiles and paper, for example. Uh, and amongst these uses, a lot of them are industrial uses. And generally, you could expect uh, them to lead to relatively low exposures, whereas professional and consumer uses may lead to higher exposures. Yeah, so many uh, bisphenols are widely used and uh, can be used interchangeably. And that's, that's also why it's important that they are looked at together in a group. Um, so this means that based on our current understanding, many but, but not all bisphenols can be seen as problematic. If we then talk about the actual practical work that you have done, you have assessed, as you said, 148 chemicals as a group, it, it must have required quite some, some organization. How did you go about this work? Yeah, indeed, uh, there's quite a number of substances, 148. Uh, so we, we divided them first into six manageable subgroups, 
So there's there was a subgroup on BPA and BPA derivatives, a subgroup on BPS and BPS derivatives, and a subgroup on BPF and BPF derivatives, and so on. Uh, and then with a small but amazing team of experts in ECHA, we assessed first uh, each of these subgroups. We also involved several interested member states from the very beginning, and we discussed with them how to approach the assessment and they, they provided input and feedback on the draft documents. Um, for each of these subgroups, uh, and, and then for the report uh, of, of the entire group, um, we consulted also the member states more widely and, and the European Commission as well. Um, what we did concretely is um, we, we assessed which substances should be in or out of the group, uh, and, and whether there's a need for subgrouping within the subgroups, let's say. Um, and um, we assessed, of course, the, the hazards for both human health and the environment. We assessed the uses and the uses we uh, use as a proxy for uh, exposure potential. Uh, and the main source of information is the registration dossiers. We have quite powerful tools for data mining and automation, which, which help our colleagues uh, to, in their assessment uh, of the groups of substances. Uh, basically, they receive summaries on the uses and the hazard data for each substance in the group. Uh, however, in the case of bisphenols, I have to say that the, the experts went the extra mile and looked uh, quite a lot also and at the uh, source information, so the registration dossiers. And sometimes they also look at, at other sources. Then based on the hazard and use pattern, we draw conclusions whether we think there will be a need for regulatory risk management. Uh, we don't actually conclude at this stage whether there is a risk uh, in, 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 this, in this kind of assessment. Uh, we, we do uh, conclude whether there is a need for regulatory risk management and that can be, for example, restriction. Uh, and then the risk assessment will need to be carried out when, uh, for example, a restriction proposal will be prepared under the restriction process. We consider also the potential for substitution of substances in the group. So basically we want to answer the question whether they are likely to be interchangeable based on what we know uh, of their uses and technical functions. And uh, of course this is important because we want to consider whether regulation is needed for uh, more than than a single substance as set, uh, so that we can avoid that they become regrettable substitutes to each other. So when all the subgroups were assessed, we, we took a step back and looked at the overall group and the patterns in terms of hazards and uses in the subgroups, but also across the subgroups, and then drew conclusions whether there's a need for regulatory action and also what that action then should be. Um, and the conclusions uh, that we then reached are the ones that you can read in, in the published report on our ECHA website. So as, as mentioned earlier, quite some organization needed to get all that, all that work done. Um, but a lot of work has gone into this. So based on the assessment done now, I guess it's fair to say that you know quite a lot more about bisphenols now than, than what you did earlier. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit what you've learned and if there are still questions when it when it comes to their safety? Yeah, good question. We, we learned about the similarities in, in hazard properties of many bisphenols, but interesting, we also learned that not all 
substances in the group have the same properties. So we have these 148 substances grouped together because of their structural similarity. Uh, basically, they have the common bisphenol structure. But the bridge between the two phenols is variable and the groups attached to them can be very diverse. So many substances are also so-called UVCBs, which are substances that are complex and where the composition is unknown or variable. So although there are definitely similarities, there are also differences. And this translates into differences in their use profile and also in the toxicity. Uh, for 34 of the bisphenols in the group, we are quite confident that they are all endocrine disruptors for both human health and the environment uh, and may have reproductive toxicity pro properties and that they will need uh, regulation. Many are widely used and may be used interchangeably as well. So here, clearly, there is a commonality among a large subset of the bisphenols in the group. And this is also why a group restriction has been identified as the best way to manage the potential risks of these 34 bisphenols. The basic idea behind um, a restriction on a group of substances rather than individual substances is that uh, authorities avoid running behind the facts and dealing with one regrettable substitute after another. Uh, but also industry can benefit from the approach since they then also receive more certainty on the substances to be restricted in the long term. And substituting one substance after another for them also requires um, each time uh, that industry adapts, which uh, can mean, for instance, reformulation costs or process adaptations, for instance. And um, yeah, these are also costs that could be, could be avoided. We also learned that although a large subset of substances in the group need restriction, for other substances in the group, this is not needed. Um, this applies to 26 bisphenols, where we are quite confident that they are not endocrine disruptors or toxic to the reproduction. And so there will be not a need uh, to regulate these substances based on, on uh, those properties then either. Uh, they may, however, still be regulated in consumer products because uh, most of these substances are actually skin sensitizers. Then there's another 22 bisphenols where we just don't know yet if they need regulation because the currently available data is not enough to conclude uh, on their properties. And um, that's why for these substances, data generation is ongoing. And when we have the new data, it will allow us to conclude whether they also need to be regulated or not. Then there is still uh, about 60 substances left. And uh, for those, we concluded that there is no need to act uh, currently as they are not registered or only registered below 10 tons a year. And for these substances, actually, we have no data to conclude on their properties. Uh, that said, data on, on hazards is being generated as set on other bisphenols and uh, this new data could perhaps be used in the future to assess some of these low-volume or non-registered substances. Uh, and then, of course, also in the future, some of these substances may uh, become registered or their volume, when they are already registered, may increase and then we may get more data on these substances as well. Um, 
I should say that although we have no data to conclude on their properties, of course there is also no or very little exposure when they are not used in the EU or only at very low volumes. So there are questions regarding these substances in terms of their properties, but not so much actually in terms of their safety. Can I ask about the data generation there that you mentioned? Um, how is this being done? Well, we, we have um, two processes for that. One is compliance check and the other is substance evaluation. And through those processes, we can uh, request further um, information from companies and, and that basically means that they will uh, usually have to do uh, either animal testing or other testing and, and provide that information to us. Um, you said that um, some bisphenols should be restricted um, and for many others uh, more information is needed to clarify if and how they're used should be regulated but if we if we talk about in more concrete terms what happens next actually in fact at at the moment uh, germany is developing a proposal to restrict the emissions of bpa and bisphenols with endocrine disrupting properties in the environment uh, and uh, germany may propose to restrict also bisphenols that only in the future will be identified as endocrine disruptors And uh, the restriction proposal is expected to be submitted in October this year. Um, the restriction may address the use of these uh, bisphenols as such in mixtures uh, and in articles uh, and may also cover the presence of these substances as constituents or impurities in other substances. And examples of materials or articles expected to be in the scope are thermal paper, plastics, textiles, leather and fur, and so on. Um, and in the run-up to the submission of this restriction proposal in October, uh, there is now also a consultation on the endocrine disrupting properties to the environment of BPF, as well as uh, BPF and 8 BPF salts, And this consultation is open until the 20th of June. So then the Member State Committee of ECHA will provide an opinion on whether these uh, substances are endocrine disruptors to the environment. Then once it's clearer how the German proposal will look like, um, ECHA and the European Commission will consider any further needs for regulatory action on top of this uh, restriction on bisphenols, um, as also actually announced in the restrictions roadmap. Um, meanwhile, for for many substances, as said, data generation is ongoing. Um, and when we have the new data, it will allow us to conclude whether they also need, whether the substances also need to be regulated or not. Uh, and it will also allow us to verify whether our assumptions regarding their to toxicity were correct. And important, of course, we also rely on the member states to initiate uh, proposals for harmonized classification and uh, substance evaluation on several substances. So this substance evaluation is what I mentioned er earlier, is one of the processes to generate further data. Uh, you mentioned there when talking about restrictions, the, the restrictions ro roadmap. This was published by the European Commission. Um, Could you say a couple of uh, words about the roadmap and what it means? Sure. Um, the restrictions roadmap prioritizes group restrictions for the most harmful substances to human health and the environment. Um, and this is uh, one of the actions in the European Commission's 
chemical strategy for sustainability. Um, and as part of the roadmap, there's a rolling list of substances, and th this this list will become the basis for the multi-annual planning under reach for restrictions. Uh, this this list will also be regularly reviewed and updated, and um, should ensure a balance between needed flexibility and also commitment from the authorities to ensure progress in in the actions. And as part also of the restriction roadmap, it's intended to have a focus on restricting groups of substances again, rather than regulating uh, substances one by one. And indeed, bisphenols are uh, on this rolling list as well. So earlier you mentioned the assessment report for these bisphenols, and that was published in April. That is also available on our website. If we think about that report, who would you recommend to take a closer look at it? And why do you think it would be beneficial? Uh, the assessment of regulatory needs is not part of the, the process is defined in the legislation. And so there are no uh, direct legal implications. Um, for that, we need authorities to take actions uh, and pro progress the proposed strategy. And as said, uh, the German authorities are already preparing a proposal to restrict the use of bisphenol A and other bisphenols. And then uh, companies can provide information in, in the consultation on the proposal once it's submitted. And as said, there's also this uh, consultation ongoing on BPF, its salts and BPF. Um, but also other actions from authorities are needed. So clearly authorities um, should be familiar um, with, with the report. And, and we know that a lot of them are, as mentioned, uh, we have worked together with, with several of them. Um, but then also for companies, um, uh, the report gives an insight in, in what can be expected in terms of regulatory actions. Um, and um, companies can see what might happen then with their substances in the near future. Because they can see which substances are in the limelight, they can then also use uh, that information to consider proactive substitution um, and and uh, avoid basically to use substances with similar hazard properties as alternatives. Uh, they can also uh, be proactive in, in keeping their registrations up to date. And uh, I would also recommend them to follow up the, the progress um, with the actions on, on their uh, substances and that they can do via the public activities coordination tool on AGES website, the so-called uh, PACT tool. So yeah, I think overall the report is of interest to authorities and companies, but I think also wider for, for the stakeholders, such as also NGOs. So at this point, Martin, I would like to thank you very much for taking the time to explain why assessing chemicals in groups is so important and especially for telling us more about bisphenols. If you go to our website, you can find there more information on bisphenols. The assessment report is already there. We also have a topical page on bisphenols with more details and links to further information. Um, the ongoing consultation is open until 20th of June 2022. And then anyone who is interested in the German restriction proposal on bisphenol A, um, they should be keeping an eye on our homepage and the part for consultations. 
after October when we expect to get the, the proposal. So then also anyone interested can have their say. As we already talked about the website, all the episodes of our Safer Chemicals podcast can also be found there, as well as, of course, on your favorite podcast channel. Safer Chemicals podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. 